easy. Hallelujah. Just worship him in this place just for a minute. The world leaves us empty and wanting for more. Hallelujah. Jesus is the only one that satisfies. Hallelujah. the spirit that I feel in this place today. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to follow uh, after Brother Kyler from last Sunday and let you sit down. I have a lot of scriptures today. The book of Judges, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Isn't that a recurring theme? In the Old Testament. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, in the caves, and in the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian and Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all of the sheep, all of the goats, all of the cattle, and the donkeys. Now these enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. However you say that. Amen. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are the, all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, 
and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against only one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. And he answered, I will stay here until you return. And Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then, carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Oprah in the land of the clan of Abizar to this day. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son! The men of the town demanded of Joash, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbel, which means let Baal defend himself, because he broke down Baal's altar. Amen. I'm going to stop there. Gideon was a man from the clan of Abizar of the tribe of Manasseh, which has already been noted that this clan was the smallest of the tribe of Manasseh, and the weakest of the tribe of Manasseh. And Gideon grew up in a clan with a reputation, I just said this, for being the weakest in Manasseh. Gideon considered himself to be the least capable in his family. 
but it wasn't for lack of trying. Scripture tells us that he carried more than his share of the work, and he did his best to help with the harvest. Gideon gathered wheat for the threshing, and Gideon prepared the crops for the hostile winter season. Gideon was actually just as strong as most men, but he was called weak so long that the label stuck. Amen. Growing up with the constant taunts of being a loser affects a person's confidence and self-image. Amen. There are many of us in the body of Christ that work hard and we do our best for the kingdom of God, but we struggle with our identity. Our self-confidence is low and we view ourselves as losers, as unworthy trash. Now, our burden is for the harvest, and we work hard, but our identity is in question. We let others define us. We let our parents, who may have said hurtful things, define us. We let our brothers or sisters, who may have found pleasure in making fun of us, we let those things define us. We let our peers, who always seem to point out the negative in our lives, we let them Defend, uh, define us. We let our leaders who may, and I'm not talking about our leadership, but leaders that we may have had in our lives at some point, but we let our leaders who maybe only ever critiqued and never had any words of encouragement and always broke us down, maybe we let them define us. We let the words and the actions of others shape and form our identity, and we rarely, if ever, allow God to tell us how he sees us. Amen. When we allow others to tell us who we are, we assume that the Lord views us in the same way as others do. You may not realize it, and I, I may not realize it sometimes, but you view God in the same way that you view your abusive father or mother. You will view God in the same way you view the person that you esteem the most or the person in your life who has influenced you the most. If you had a father who was uh, maybe silent and always ignored you, never answered you, always pretended like you didn't exist, you'll find it difficult to approach your heavenly father because inwardly, and you may not even realize it, you don't really believe that God is listening to you and will answer you. And that is just one example. It is so important that we are receiving the love of God in our lives so that we can show it to our children or to the people closest to us because oftentimes we are shaping other people's identity or other people's view of God. Amen. But that's the mentality that many of us have. When our identity is shaped by others instead of by God, your desire to please those around you will translate to your relationship with Jesus, and you will perform and work and burn yourself out trying to please God. You're afraid of punishment if you don't do anything right. You mess up, and it's the end of the world. You find yourself repenting over and over again for the same mistake, punishing yourself. We ask for forgiveness, but we never receive forgiveness, even if it's offered to us. 
instead of love, joy, and peace reigning in our hearts, shame, condemnation, and fear reigns in our hearts. Uh, People who have these identity issues oftentimes are building altars to idols in their lives. I'm not saying that there's a statue of Buddha in their home, which I'm sure that there are many people in this world that have statues of whatever in their house. But there is something or someone in their lives that fills a void that Jesus is supposed to be filling. Amen. Entertainment. I like entertainment. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of us that love entertainment. That's that's one for me. Amen. Just being honest. Sports for some. A hobby for others. It could be a person. It could be a relationship. It could be an addiction. It could be a family. Family can be an idol if placed before God. Amen. It can even be my ministry. Because, see, I can be involved in ministry, but be far from God. Amen. Ministry can be an idol. If I give more of my time to a ministry than I give to the Lord, it is an idol. God is more concerned with me and with you than he is with a ministry. Amen. We uh, cannot neglect him for anything. And if I find myself or if you find yourself teaching so many Bible studies or doing so much work for the church or whatever it may be, that we have no time to spend in the presence of the Lord receiving his love and his peace and his joy, then perhaps that ministry needs to be put on hold for a while so we can focus on what's most important. Amen. Amen. God does not want to be second to anyone or anything in our lives. You know, sometimes it is possible uh, that we can love souls more than we love God. Amen. We love the idea of winning souls more than we love the idea of spending time with God. You know where the Lord found Gideon? At the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat. He was working the harvest but did not know the Lord. In fact, Gideon demanded multiple signs until he was satisfied that he really was talking to the Lord. If I'm not careful, I'll find myself working for the Lord and not even know the Lord. And I will not, would not even be able to recognize him if he appeared right in front of me. If I am winning souls left and right and people are receiving the Holy Ghost and getting baptized, sometimes it's easy to believe that we have arrived, that we're doing good. But the fruit of our ministry is never a stamp of approval on our lives. A Christian is only truly successful when the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their lives. A Christian that walks in and by love, that is the mark of a true disciple indeed. Amen. You know, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, many of us have, in my infancy as a Christian, is that we try to win uh, people to God without really knowing God ourselves. All, I, all that I could tell them at the moment was that um, they could be filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. But I couldn't really tell them much of anything else. Amen. Because sometimes our idea of being saved 
is speaking in tongues and attending church services faithfully. But when it comes to other things, the deeper things of God, like the love of God and being filled with love and joy and peace and living by the indwelling spirit of Christ, we can't talk much about. Amen. Amen. Individually, the most important thing in my life and in your life is our relation to Jesus as our father. Amen. Not not my spouse, not my kids, not my job or our ministries or our titles or positions, not my soul winning efforts, but him. Amen. Spending time in the work of the ministry is not the same as spending time with him. I have to interact with him as my father, not as my master or as my boss or as the one who will punish me if I do wrong, but as my loving father, a father who loves us more than anyone could ever love us, a father that does not keep a record of how many times we have fallen short. And that is a big one because how many of us are, are plagued with condemnation in our lives that we mess up and we have to repent 17 times and we still can't get rid of it? Amen. But Jesus does not keep a record of the things that we have done wrong. Love does not keep a record. Amen. A father who never has a word of correction that isn't gentle and tinged with the deepest kind of love. Amen. If you walk away from your prayer time and you feel condemned instead of encouraged, you have not spoken with the Lord. Amen. You know, and it's been a struggle in my life because I haven't been able to relate in the past to a God that I'm talking about today. Amen. And there are many Christians that can't relate to this kind of a loving father. You have to, you have to um, receive these things. These things cannot just be known. Knowledge of the love of God is not enough. You have to actively engage the love of God. Receive it. Receive it in your mind, yes, knowledge is important, but there must be a spiritual transfer of the heart. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the, the difference. My wife purchases a gift for me, and I love it when she purchases a gift for me. Amen. She purchases a wonderful gift for me. That's even better. She brings it to me, and she tells me what it is. I now have knowledge of that gift, but has that gift done me any bit of good? No. But if I take the gift from her hands, and if I unwrap the gift, and I interact with the gift, and I enjoy the benefits from that gift, then I have truly received that gift. I have engaged it. I have interacted with it. And my relationship with my wife grows as a result of that. Amen. It is not enough to have knowledge of God's love. But what are we doing to receive it? And you may spend hours in prayer. And you may intercede for others. 
and you may pray for your family nonstop. You may lift up this church and your leadership before the Lord every single day. You may bring your most desperate needs before him. You may study the word of God until you're blue in the face. But have you just sat and basked in the presence of the Lord? Have you entertained him? Have you, when's the last time that we've just thrown out the agenda, forgot about all of the needs, and just spent time with him? This is what he wants above all. He wants to be loved, and he wants you to feel loved. He doesn't just want you to walk away feeling accomplished because you prayed today, but he wants you to walk away renewed in his love. I could pray in tongues for hours and walk away without any true interaction. What good is a one-sided conversation? Amen. There's no such thing as a one-sided conversation. Amen. It takes two people to have a conversation. When's the last time in prayer that you or I have made a space for him to talk, to respond? Amen. Do you ever ask him something and then stop and wait for him to respond, to answer? Because God has answers, and it may not be the huge answer that I want, but it may be a simple answer that's just simple conversation. Something like, I love you. You know, uh, Jesus often answers me in prayer, but he's answering questions that I should be asking. I'm asking about, and I've said this many times before in the past few weeks, but uh, I'm asking questions about uh, solving financial uh, needs. And he answers, but, but he's targeting a spiritual need instead of a physical need. Let him control and lead and guide the conversation. I'm talking about a performance-based way of living versus true relationship with the Lord. We uh, perform for the Lord when we don't know who we are. That's what Gideon was doing. He did not know the Lord, but he was still busy with the harvest. And when the Lord showed up, he didn't even know who he was and had to demand multiple signs as proof that he was the Lord. Amen. We don't know who we are because we don't know who he is. Uh, Paul had to tell the Galatian church that they were no longer slaves, but sons. Slaves perform and sons have a relationship. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything that their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age that their father set. And that's the way that it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, but we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave. You no longer have to perform. 
but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to the so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? And here it is right here. And this is what we do sometimes. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. We think that our doing of things will earn us favor with God. We think that our attendance is what earns us favor with God or that our tithes earns us favor with God or all of these things that we do. And these things are very important, but it is not what gives us favor with God. We're no longer slaves. We no longer have to perform. It's not by our good works, but it's by our faith and the indwelling spirit of Christ within us. And he says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? You see, slaves don't have a joyful and a grateful spirit. Slaves are condemned. And slaves are, are shamed all the time and down in the dumps because, you know, God has abandoned me. And I'm not saying that any of us are like this. I'm just saying, amen. Amen. I was a slave once upon a time. I operated as a Christian slave once upon a time. We all have, if we were all honest in this place. Amen. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. Amen. I'm skipping forward. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you, have, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lived with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. 
but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, who persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Amen. The question that Paul was asking the Galatians and the question that God is asking us today is this. Which of Abraham's two sons are you? Do you try to earn God's favor and earn salvation by your performance? Or do you live by the indwelling spirit of Christ within you? Amen. The child of the slave woman can look like a faithful church attendee. Uh, The child of the slave woman can pay their tithes, have the Holy Ghost. They could be baptized in the name of Jesus and look like a Pentecostal, dress like a Pentecostal, and they may clean the toilets every single week and invite 50 people to church every week. The child of the slave woman may uh, jump up and down and speak in tongues every service, and they may have a scheduled prayer time every day. I'm not saying any of these things are wrong. We believe in these things and practice these things, but it is a matter of the heart, not what we do or don't do, say or don't say, look or don't look like. Amen. It is a matter of the heart. You can do all of those things with a sincere heart and have a slave mentality. If we aren't making time to simply interact with him as our father, allowing him to fill us full of love and peace and joy and kindness and gentleness, meekness and patience. All of these things are attributes of the spirit and things that he wants us to uh, experience every single day. But if I'm not actively receiving these things from the source, then I'm not interacting with him as my father. He's my master at that point. He's my boss. He's my judge, jury, and executioner when we mess up. You know, uh, one of the first things that Gideon said when he first interacted with the Lord is he said, I am doomed. I have seen the Lord face to face. Because oftentimes fear is what happens to somebody uh, Fear is what somebody experiences when they don't truly know the Lord. You know, we will be, we'll have interactions with him and we'll walk away feeling condemned to hell. We're afraid of, of hell. We're afraid of eternal torment. I've dealt with this. Recently, I've dealt with this. We're afraid of eternal damnation because there's a lack of love. There's no trust there. Maybe you've experienced the love of God before, but you're not rekindling it and so fear takes the place of love because hatred is not the opposite of love fear is the opposite of love scripture tells us that perfect love casts out fear amen when we do not have the love of God fear takes over and fear takes control amen remember in scripture when Jesus told us to become like little children. You know, my wife and I, uh, we had been confused about that passage of Scripture uh, before, but um, recently been understanding a little bit more about that. 
since becoming parents. We have to return to our childhood and be like children. When I approach Jesus and I interact with him, I don't bring anything with me. I'm not a minister when I approach him. I'm not a reverend when I approach him. I'm a little child. You know why Jesus wants us to be like little children? Because children just receive. Children just receive. Slaves approach God with their accomplishments. Slaves heap shame upon themselves because they never feel like they've done enough. They expect blessings and favor to come into their lives because of what they've done for God. But when it doesn't come, they think they're being punished. And the fact of the matter is, God will not validate our performance-based Christianity. He blesses us for one simple reason, because he loves us. Because we are his children. I, I can go pick up my son right now, and I've been on vacation for the past couple weeks before my new job, and I can go pick him up, and I can hug him and tell him I love him and smile at him, and he may not fully understand what I'm saying yet, but he can feel the love from my hug. He can see the smile on my face. And he will receive love from his father. Amen. Judah's uh, favorite spot is to sit right next to me on the couch. And uh, I'll be watching something on my phone or scrolling on Facebook or playing a game or, or something. And I'll feel uh, he sits to the left of me on the couch. And uh, his little hand will go up and grab onto my shirt. And I'll look over, and he's just looking up at me with the purest look of adoration on his face, just big smile. And I'll look at him, and I'll smile back, and we'll just interact, just father and son. Just interact. That's what Jesus wants from us. Become like a little child. He wants to give us his love, and he wants us to just receive. No doubts, no questions, but God, why this, why that? Why haven't you solved this? Why am I still struggling with that? Just receive. Just receive. Jesus wants us to enter his presence. Look up at him. Tug on his shirt sleeve. Look up at him and smile. That's what he wants. Do that. And watch him respond so fast, it'll make you dizzy, because that's what he wants. Leave your to-do list and all of your accomplishments at the door. Leave your needs at the door. Let your prayer be an exchanging of love between father and child. Bringing needs before him and praying for others is definitely important. But the point I'm trying to make is create a time and a place for intimacy. Prioritize intimacy before anything else. Do not sacrifice your soul for the needs of others or for your ministry. Ministry cannot outweigh relationship in my life. Amen. Amen. Gideon had an identity issue. 
In Gideon's first encounter with the Lord, he looked at Gideon and he said, Mighty hero. Mighty hero. The Lord immediately dealt with Gideon's identity crisis. Mighty hero. Mighty man of valor. He didn't see a loser or a weakling like many had told him or like Gideon had told himself, but a mighty man. Some of us need that same experience. Point to someone next to you and say, mighty hero. Point at him and say, mighty hero. Mighty hero. Don't let the world define you. Don't let what your parents said about you define you. Don't let what your friends say about you define you. Let God define you. Amen. What is God saying about you right now? How does God see you right now? Have I asked him lately how he sees me? I asked him yesterday how he sees me. And he ministered to me. And his love showed up. You've got to ask the right questions sometimes. Ask the right questions. Deal with what's most important. Get honest with God. Amen. What is God saying about you? He has words for you, just like he has words for Gideon. It may not be mighty hero, but it might be woman of faith. Amen. You never know what God has to say about you until you ask him. One of the primary responsibilities of the father is to tell the child who they are. When I'm holding Judah, oftentimes I'll whisper things in his ear. I'll uh, quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. That's the most important thing I can teach my children when helping to shape their identity. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not God. I can't look at my son and, and tell the kind of man that he's going to become or the kind of man that God destines him to be, but I can tell him who God is. And when he knows who God is, God can tell him who he is. Amen. You know, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, whom do men say that I am? He said, well, you know, some say that you're uh, Elijah raised from the dead. Others say you're John the Baptist, wasn't it? Um, but he said, whom do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what other people say who I am. Who do you say that I am? And he said, thou art Christ the son of the living God. Once Peter understood, came to a revelation of who God was, then Jesus looked at him and said, now I'm going to tell you who you are. Thou art Peter, the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. See, Peter's identity was wrapped up in God's identity. So what is God saying about you? What is your identity in him? You know, we'll never experience harvest until we know who we are in Christ. Idolatry runs rampant in our lives because we don't know who we are. 
We seek validation from everything else but from God sometimes. Israel's focus was on reaping and keeping their harvest, while God's was on their idolatry and their lack of identity. Because of Israel's identity, God allowed the Midianites to come in and steal their harvest. The word Midian means strife. I heard Mark Morgan, I believe, uh, talk about this. But the word Midian means strife. The sa- some sentiments, some sentiments, some synonyms, some synonyms, some synonyms. Anybody ever try to say the word anemone? And I can say that word. I just botched it up on purpose. Anemone. Maybe I can't say it. But the word Midian means strife. And some synonyms of, stri- of strife. Man, I need a glass of water or something. I drink some water, loosen up this tongue in here. Some of these words include uh, disagreement, discord, disunity, conflict, dissension, argument, quarreling, fighting, bickering, animosity. That's what the Lord allowed to come into the children of Israel and steal their harvest. I'm convinced that, that there are things that God allows to operate within the church to steal our harvest until we can finally become honest with God. And honest with ourselves. Amen. There are battles that we will continue to face and cycles that we will be forced to repeat until we can be vulnerable before the Lord. Amen. The world will know that we are his disciples when we are when we have love one for another. Not power. We don't need more power. We have all the power we need. Amen. It's not more power that we need. It's more love that we need. You know, the entire premise of, uh, of I can't remember, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, was love. You know, I, 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 I pound this passage of Scripture into the, into the dirt, you know. But the Corinthian church had all the power. They operated in every single gift of the Spirit. They were lacking in no gift. If you wanted somebody to prophesy, you had somebody to prophesy. If you wanted somebody to uh, interpret a message in tongues, you had 30 of them. You know, if if you needed a word of knowledge, you had a few of them within 10 feet. That could, you know, they had every single gift of the Spirit. But Paul said, you don't have love. Love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. It's more love that we, did, that we need. Christ needs to be fully developed and grown in our lives. Amen. It's more love that we need. And we receive that love from the Lord when we deal with this slave mentality, this performance-based mentality, and become the children of God. And it's God's children that will share in his inheritance. Amen. 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 So, you know, teachers uh, in, in the world will give homework. And if I were, I'm not, but if I were to give homework 
I'm not giving you homework, but <laughs> if I were to give you homework, I would have you to consider in your prayer time this week to leave all of the needs of others at the door and just talk to him honestly. And just spend time with him and interact with him as your father, not as the one who solves your problems, not as the one who heals your body. Not be, you know, oftentimes the needs that we have will take care of themselves when we receive the love of God. Amen. Because, you know, it was God's compassion for the multitude that motivated him to heal. And sometimes I believe we may approach God in the wrong way. We're begging for healing. Slaves beg. Sons don't beg. Sons just receive love from their father. And healing will flow from that love. God will minister to your needs through and by love. Amen. Amen. So I'm finished. If you all stand and I hope all of that made sense. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you for being in Sunday school today. Tell somebody that you love them and receive the love that, that they're giving you. Interact with them today. In Jesus' name.